Welcome to Get Off the Mic, a hockey podcast by hockey nerds for hockey nerds. Brought to you by the writers from GetOffTheIce.com. Hello and welcome to Get Off the Mic. I'm your host, Mac, and with me today is no co-host because Paul sucks and he's not here this week. But I don't record alone. With me is a guy who could probably serve as a great makeup mirror. That's Gaudy staff writer Steve. As well, we're joined by Gaudy staff writer Keith, whose mustache is probably a bushier, probably bushier, oh my, than the Australian Outback. Holy guys, are you doing better than me today? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty safe to say yeah. You set the bar real low for us, so I'm going to go with yeah as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, not a great start to what is June the 14th. We actually have some things to talk about. Not like super prominent hockey news, but there is hockey news. Well, uh, there is one piece of large hockey news that uh, Keith will serve as a great expert on. But before we get into all that, uh, I wanted to talk about something regarding last podcast where we talked about Black Lives Matter. Uh, first, first of all, the conversation still hasn't ended. While it has ex- exited the newsreel on social media, it hasn't stopped and will not stop. We must keep that going. But uh, on more of a direct note, I specifically myself referred to the Regis Korshinsky Peckett uh, situation as uh, a matter of fact that the police threw her off her balcony. That hasn't been confirmed or denied yet. And frankly, it was irresponsible of me to do so. So I apologize to anyone that I may have misled or potentially hurt by this. Um, It was just a, a burst of passion through there. But with that now cleared up, we'll get on with our opening questions so we can get quickly into this. Guys, what do you think is the worst hockey mistake ever made? Now, for the listeners, I'm talking about basically anything. That could be the NHL lockout. It could be that wild Matt Duchesne no offside call. There's plenty more, but I don't want to spoil anyone's picks. So, Keith, what do you think? Is the worst hockey mistake ever made. Ooh, so I'm going to split my answer a little bit and say my runner-up is easily the Brett Hall foot in the crease. It just breaks my heart. Honestly, looking back at it, maybe that's because I'm a Dominic Kasich fan, but oh, it just – that was such a bad no call. But the answer I am going to go with is, again, more personal for me. Game five of the Stanley Cup final, Chris Phillips puts the puck in his own net off the back of the goalie's leg. And, oh, that just – like, the Sens were not going to win that series. But that just sort of sealed it. That sort of took all wind out of the sails. That ruined everything for me. Quick sidebar. Who is, in your opinion, the best goalie of all time? Of all time? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Brodeur as my top answer. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Because there's a large cohort of people that uh, believe it's Hashik, which includes myself. But I was just wondering. Curious. Where? Steve, Hello. what is the worst hockey mistake ever made? I'm actually going to take a page from Keith and split mine too. Uh, my runner-up would actually have to be Matt Duchesne just because of the sheer amount of messiness that came into the league because of that. Yeah. Because yeah. They, the offside rule has, for the last few years, just been an absolute nightmare nobody knows like if you if your foot's off the ice it still counts as offside even if it's behind the line it just it just caused a whole whole nightmare 
my actual pick would be Patrick Stefan missing an empty net <laughs> in the final 20 seconds of <laughs> of a, a game where they're up by one. The other team taking the puck and going to tie the game. That was a wild, wild sequence. And it was uh, the actually recently retired Alesh Hemsky who tied that game up. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Luckily for Stefan, though, the uh, the Stars didn't end up winning that game. And that certainly did punctuate what was one of the worst number one overall draft picks to ever to ever go away. Eh? Oh, definitely. Yeah, Yakubov has something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> good call. Good call. Um, for me, I don't even... I mean, I guess we can we can discuss about whether this should count, but for me, it was it was Game Six of the Stanley Cup Final between Calgary and Tampa Bay, where now infamously the goal or the puck went into Tampa Bay's net uh, in double overtime, and that would have given Calgary their second Stanley Cup. But there was no video replay at the time, so the refs just missed it, and Tampa Bay now. Uh, as we know, went on to win that game in double overtime and game seven because Ruslan Fedotenko is a Fedotank. Oh, <laughs> I'm great. No. But like, does that even count considering they didn't really have the means to go check it at the time? It was still a mistake that I got missed in the first place. So I'll count it. Yeah, I'd count it too. It's, it, could, it would have changed the outcome of the game pretty dramatically. I absolutely agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> But okay, we're feeling nice today. I like that. But let us know what your worst hockey mistake or what you think is the worst hockey mistake ever is. You can tweet us at getofftheice.com or uh, getofftheice on Twitter or you can uh, submit through us or email us uh, through our website. So, Keith, do you like charity? Oh, I got to say, yeah, on that one, don't I? Yeah. Do you, do you like the Sens? Uh, yep, unfortunately still do. Well, you sound like the perfect person to talk about the Ottawa Senators Foundation and all that messy garbage that's going on there. So, for quick recap in case anyone uh, hasn't seen it, um, and I'm sorry if I'm paraphrasing or rushing this, this is, it's honestly just nuts what has gone on. Basically, the Sens Foundation split from the Sens, even though they're the Sens Foundation. Um, So people began speculating on why. There was a columnist in Ottawa whose name currently escapes me. It is um, Rick Gibbons, that's who it is. Works for the Ottawa Sun, and he published two articles that apparently were factually incorrect. And what he got wrong was the amount of rent charged by the Sens. So he claimed he had originally cited that it was well into the hundreds of thousands, which seems kind of absurd since, you know, they're a charity. And that actually the team has to charge rent uh, according to city bylaws or something along the lines of that. They are legally forced to, to charge them rent. So those are two things that were apparently wrong in it. But nevertheless... What is the look if your foundation leaves the team whose namesake they took? Well, we'll start. We'll start with our Ottawa, Ottawa natives or Ottawa fan, Keith. The look is just, uh, I want to say 
it's just another thing on the pile for Ottawa fans to dislike Melnick. Like, even though the columnist did have to issue an apology, it doesn't help the it doesn't help the optics. People still are just going to keep disliking Melnick for this. It just looks so bad. It makes him look even cheaper, and there's just no coming back for him, in my opinion, anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Sorry if uh, the folks at home picked up anything there. My cat was jumping through windows and making a lot of noise. He wanted to make an appearance. But Steve, as an outsider and not a Sens fan, how much are you reveling in this? <laughs> I think, I think that it's it's a it's still a really bad look, um, because on top of what you said with the rent, which just to go on that quickly, even if they're legally required to charge rent, they could charge a dollar. Like it's a charity. It's your charity. You don't have to, I don't know what they were actually charging for rent. 78,000 a year, which is apparently below market price. I will say, but that's fair. But again, it's your charity. (laughs) Um, there was also, uh, there's also some some talk in that column regarding the organ project and some criticism regarding where the money's going, like how much of it yes. is is so. uh, actually going to the people. And I think, given that I think it was forty six percent forty six cents per dollar donated actually goes to the charity to the um, uh, causes that the charity supports. Forty six percent of a singular cent on the dollar. So they give 0.046 of each. No, I think it's 43 cents per dollar. Nope. It's it's half a cent per dollar because they raise around a million dollars or just short of it. And uh, donated 5,000. Yeah. So that's also already a horrible look. And then to put on top of that charge and rent that the Senate, the Senator's foundation doesn't even want to compete in the RFP, which is a request for a request for proposal. Hmm. They did not even enter the request for proposal. So it feels like something else is going on and like, we probably don't know what it is, but it's probably not good. Now, sorry to cut you off yeah. or not to cut you off, but to counter contradict you there, Steve. Um, part of the reason why they only gave $5,000 is they were also legally required to cover some overhead expenses themselves. Like, I agree entirely that it's not a good look. Their charity out of a million dollars gives 5000 but they were bound by legal things that I am underqualified to talk about. But I know that they weren't, it wasn't as easy as just flipping the money. No, obviously, obviously, like any charity that you donate to won't give 100% of the proceeds that you donate. But the amount that they donate uh, all depends on multiple factors from how much everybody in the organization makes to other things. Um, I worked with this a little bit a few years ago and there are some that give up to like 60 to 70% of what they make. So this amount is just, it's it's way too low. Yeah. Now let me throw a bit of a wrench in here. Uh, because there also there was another clarification, specifically on the Oregon project and their suspected five thousand uh, dollar charitable donation, and the clarification was that 
the organization is not one to raise money for other causes. Apparently, it is that it is an organization that is meant to raise awareness for organ, organ donation. And that is part of the reason of how they justified their well over 70, or the fact that well over 70% of their budget was dedicated to event planning, which is, you know, approximately $700,000 for event planning. That seems like, I suppose, somewhat fair, um, if that is actually their mandate. But is there still room to give more than uh, a hefty month's rent in Toronto? You got to assume so, right? Because at a certain point, people are aware of organ donation, but there still needs to be more funds allocated towards getting things done, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah, I, I, I do too. So let's talk about Melnick now. Because this guy has been just a firestorm of news, uh, I would say, for the past two years. Really since, ironically enough, he had that kidney transplant, and that was that incredible story about the the Sens fan who basically saved Melnick's life by uh, giving him a kidney. Since then, I guess a little bit of time after, uh, he's been kind of a mess, and this just kind of adds to it. Now... Is there room for Bettman to step in and start forcing some hands? Because Ottawa, I mean, so the listeners know, we have all spent or are spending significant amounts of time in Ottawa as a place of residence, among other places. But Ottawa has a great potential to be a money-making business for the league. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't have another professional sports team in the big four. They do have the Red Blacks, but that's in a totally different season. They barely overlap. They may overlap for one or two weeks. But there's an opportunity here, and it feels like it's getting blocked by Melnick for various reasons, whether it's his poor spending choice, his constant appearance in the newsreel for things that are less than savory. Should should Batman's if you were Batman, would you step in? If I were Batman, I would try. I'm not sure if I'm not sure how the how the NHL works with this, but I'm not sure if he's able to. I know with like the NBA with I think it was the Lakers uh owner. Yep. Yeah. Uh Donald like he was, yeah. Like they forced him out. Um but I'm not sure if there is really much precedent with the with the league. I'm not sure if like Harold Ballard was forced out or anything like that. So I'm not sure what the process would be, but I think it would be worth looking into because at this point he is basically tanking the value of the senators. Yes. So uh, what they could do is something that they did with the coyotes, but not, they did it with the coyotes for financial reasons, which they could, you know, really use as the excuse for the Sens as well but they could actually buy the Senators from Melnick. Then they would be able to run the team, like obviously not like in a colluding sort of way, uh, but then just help build the value back up and then resell it to a someone that wants to buy the team. Someone capable. Um, and although we have many criticisms about the NHL, the way they've handled Arizona and their persistence in it, I think is genuinely starting to pay off. Um, I think that team is under way better management more stable one 
Um, and they definitely have a significantly higher valuation than uh, prior to the Bettman, Bettman buy. So that could be an option, but I suppose, would you, how would you feel about that? I would personally be all for it. I just, any owner that isn't constantly making the story about himself or constantly being cited as the reason, well, we can't sign this player, we have to trade this player, isn't good for a team. So if you have an owner that is completely silent, as the NHL would likely be, that's just so much better for the team. Realistically, any owner for an NHL team should be silent. Like, you shouldn't hear from them because you have a general manager, you have a president of hockey ops that should be the ones talking yeah agreed all right well here's to hoping that the nhl buys the senators before they move to houston (laughs) hey i i made that prediction a long time ago but nevertheless we're going to move on big news kind of big news nhl training camps have been tentatively scheduled to open on July 10th. So that is phase three of the return to play program where teams will start formally getting ready to participate in the playoffs. From there, it looks like it'll be about a three week training camp and then they'll be kicking off the season or the postseason. Are we excited? Oh, extremely. It'll be very nice to say the least. I don't think I've ever watched a, if they, broadcast any of this any footage from training camps but this summer i might (laughs) (laughs) yeah our sports starved minds are really gonna eat up all that lines line drills and all that but we must rehash what was maybe the hottest argument ever on get off the mic with the training camps coming back there is rumors that the nhl has picked their two cities Out of Vegas, a reporter um, actually published a a column about how that Vegas will be one of the cities announced. And then on the rumor mill, it is believed that Toronto is the second preferred destination, which is kind of dependent, though, on what the Canadian government says relative to the 14-day isolation period. So if they waive that to some sort of, you know, maybe seven-day, five-day, or just waive it entirely... It looks like Toronto will probably get the second spot. Um, And again, I'm pretty sure as it goes, the Eastern Conference bracket will play out of Vegas and the Western Conference one will play out of Toronto. So, Steve, given that you were quite passionate about it last time (laughs) we spoke, how do you like this? Because they're going with my idea. Not my cities, actually, but my idea. I mean, like... It, it's it's good that Vegas was chosen. Um, they're I think they they have the best opportunity to like really just seclude the teams. I'm not a like I'm a Toronto fan. I'm not a huge fan of Toronto being chosen, just because if you've been following the news, um, I think it was last week some light restrictions were lifted, and people took that as oh let's go out and all crowd the parks so that there's no nobody uh, six feet apart like everyone's clustered in together and i just feel like toronto with all those nhl teams in there it's not going to be great i still think edmonton would have been a better option just because there is less spread of the spread of the rona and every, all that but on the same I'm note also vegas kind of 
Sorry, continue. Oh, no, I'm just on the same note. I'm kind of happy it's Toronto because it's Toronto. That's fair. But on the same concern you had with Toronto's lack of social distancing, Vegas recently started reopening and casinos started flooding, restaurants, bars, all of that were just filled with people. So it also poses some similar threats. Even if teams are quarantined inside a hotel, they're still going to be having to interact with some form of with some other people who aren't practicing the same safety measures. That's true. That's very true. Um, with everything reopening now, there's only, only time will tell what actually happens. Uh, I, I just feel like Vegas has more of a chance of actually being able to better quarantine the players than most other cities. Yeah. I think, you know, there's, there's risk with every city you kind of pick. I can speak to Steve's, worries about Toronto because they announced that you can like meet in groups of 10 now, but that is, that doesn't mean you can just go to any group of 10 and meet them. It's that your social group and who you interact with can now group to 10 and that you can see those same 10 people. It isn't like, Oh, Hey, there's nine people in that group. I'm going to go stand with them, which is, which seems to be what a lot of Torontonians have, uh, have assumed that that mandate meant. But um, I think really the reason that Toronto and Vegas were picked was the ability to isolate them because of all the accommodations that were available. Um, like on the East End, uh, with regards to places that they could have gone that had adequate uh, hotel support that were that was somewhat close to the arena, I suppose. You, I mean, Toronto, you, it's, it's very close. You have hotels right around the ACC and, or not ACC, Scotiabank. But uh, so I, I presume that's why that was. And then same with uh, T-Mobile, which is the Vegas arena. They have a bunch of hotels right in around there. So it'd be easier to quarantine, I think. Just with that too, I'm not sure about T-Mobile in Vegas, but I am pretty sure that parking for the Scotiabank arena is underground. So realistically, you could go from the hotel to the arena without really going outside. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, and Obviously, Toronto's got all the extra ranks to help accommodate, you know, practice facilities and all that. I don't know what the situation is like in Vegas, but uh, I presume the NHL has made some admirable moves lately. So we'll give them the benefit of the doubt that these are probably two of the better picks. I I agree that Edmonton could have been good, but um, to be honest, I still stand by the fact that they needed an East team and a West team. Granted, to quickly, um, to, before we bookend this, what would you guys have thought about doing it in cities that aren't in the playoffs? So what about Ottawa, who's had actually, uh, they really, the most cases they had in a day was like 20 or 25 or something. They generally yeah, had a good handle on it. Um, it's been pretty quiet over here. The only thing with that is, is there enough accommodations out in Canada? Yes, that would be tough. Um, but if you do it, if they were to, because it doesn't look like they would, have, they will. But if they were to have chosen teams that uh, didn't qualify, they would have then been able to put them wherever they want in the country, right? Because I do think that home ice advantage and knowing the bounces was a reason why they needed one on one side of the, of the continent and another on the other, or at least representatives from each conference. Um, but with no teams having that advantage and not their home rank, it could have been interesting. Definitely. All right. Well, after that riveting conversation, (laughs) we'll move on to a bit of a lighter note, um, which is still hockey news. But 
What do you guys think of this headline? John Tavares tapes his stick at home to save time. To me, this reads like one of those off-season articles that you get where it doesn't have anything to do really with anything hockey related. It's just like people are starved for content and this is exactly the box that that ticks. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind is like, why am I reading this? Just like Steve, you obviously clicked on it. I'm kidding. But (laughs) yeah, basically the article talks about that uh, in order to maximize the amount of social distancing one can do, Tavares tapes his sticks at home as opposed to at the rank. Well, guys, is this good journalism or totally useless news? And to be honest, I'll, I'll say I think it's totally useless. And I think it was more, it, it's become more of a joke, which isn't really what people want. But I also think it's kind of cute. Like, obviously, hockey writers are really just excited that something's happening. And obviously, they got maybe a little overzealous with what was something that I wouldn't even consider news. But I think it's at least kind of cute. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's definitely a place for these types of articles where, like, you get a little behind the scenes or an inside look to a player's life. So there's definitely a place for it. It's just not necessarily news. Yeah, this feels like more like a tweet. Like, I don't even know how you'd write an article really on this. It's like John, John Tavares tapes his stick at home to save time to maximize social distancing. That, that's the tweet. I mean, that's that's kind of a bad, kind of a useless tweet too. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> to your point. Well, <laughs> I guess that'll do it for our hockey news segment. Um, we'll hopefully have uh, a little more to work on next week, but uh, and hopefully Melnick stays out of the headlines. But now we're going to be moving on to our next segment, something we did last week that I'd like to get our whole writing staff into, which is why we're doing it this week again: our playoff betting. Yes, so we're bringing back the betting segment from last week, as I mentioned, because I want everyone in on it. So since I made my bets last week, I will not be doing it this week. But Steve and Keith are going to be joining the ranks of professional gamblers. So if in case you've forgotten, and just so that these guys know exactly what's going on, throughout these playoffs, we're going to be making bets based on Vegas odds. They have 500 in total throughout the whole playoffs. But for this very first round, this playing round, they get $100 to spend across four different bets. They have to spend all of it. Doesn't matter if they do 97 on one team, $1, $1, $1. Has to be four bets and it has to be 100 bucks. They can bet on both teams in a series. I don't know why they would. That being said, I don't know why I did. I bet on both the Rangers and Carolina. Actually, I know why I did. It's because I'm banking on all of you losing most of your money. So then that way I'm guaranteed some money. With the money that is won in this first round, that'll be reintegrated into their budget, which is now at $400 for the next round, so on and so forth. And whoever has the most money at the end, once the playoffs are fully done, wins. So this should be a little fun. The odds that I've got are the same as last week, and they're the same ones that we're going to be holding throughout. Obviously, odds are going to change as we move through the rounds. But without further ado, guys, I'll quickly let you know who you got. So, the biggest favorite to win a series, it's Pittsburgh at negative 200. Now, negative 200 means, or a negative, I suppose, means you need to bet that amount to win 100 bucks. So, 
Pittsburgh at negative 200, you would have to bet $200 to win $100, which means that your payout uh, would be 300 on that. That being said, uh, I forget, someone picked Pittsburgh. So if you put 100 bucks on Pittsburgh, let's say, you would win $50, so your total payout would be 150 By the same token, uh, Montreal is the biggest underdog, no surprise there, at plus 170 The pluses mean if you bet $100, that's how much you'd win. So if you bet $100 on Montreal to win, you would win $270, or you would win $170 with your payout being 270 All clear? Yes, sir. All right. So just to quickly run it over and also give you guys a bit of a sec to organize who you're picking. Pittsburgh versus Montreal. Pittsburgh's the favorite. Carolina versus the Rangers. Carolina's the favorite. Islanders and Florida. Florida's the favorite. That's the only series where the lower seed or the higher yeah, lower seed. Higher seed? The where the where the team that finished with a worse record is the favorite. Toronto and Columbus. Toronto's the favorite. Edmonton, Chicago. Edmonton's the favorite. It's funny enough, Edmonton's a five and Toronto's an eight, but they have the same odds to win because obviously odds makers don't trust Edmonton. Nashville and Arizona, Nashville's favorite. Vancouver, Minnesota, Vancouver's the favorite. And then Calgary and Winnipeg is actually even. That makes sense. So who would like to start? We'll just alternate here. So we have $100 to bet. You have $100. So Aaron, the well-known Edmonton fan, put half of his current money <laughs> on the Oilers winning. You got to appreciate someone that bets on their own team. That being said, he also went against his other team and actually picked Columbus for 20 bucks. Of course. What are the odds on Montreal? Montreal is plus 170. I actually put $5 on Montreal because I had five bucks left over and I said, screw it. What if they do it? Yeah, I'm going to put 10 on Montreal. Steve got $10 on Montreal and now has... 90 left to spend. Keith, where would you like your first bet to go? So what were the odds on Carolina and the Rangers? Carolina is negative 150. New York is plus 130. So I, for reference, I bet on both of these guys. I put 40 on the Rangers and 30 on Carolina. And and then, sorry, Aaron also put 10 on Carolina. So that's been a popular series to bet on thus far. Well... I'm going to also copy you and put 30 on Carolina. Keith, showing his lack of originality. 30 on Carolina. Uh, A popular bet between the other two guys last week, too, was the Islanders because they're the higher seed with home ice advantage. Well, as much home ice advantage as one could get. Last change. They have last change. Um, But they're the underdog, right? So they both tossed 20 bucks on them. Uh, I just don't know. I'm... You guys can talk through it. This is a good what's, content to talk. What's the Vancouver, Minnesota odds? Um, we did have one bet on Vancouver last week. They are negative 140, and Minnesota is plus 120. So somewhat close. Paul put 20 bucks on Vancouver last week. Yeah, that one could be an interesting series. I saw a lot of people picking Vancouver, and I think Vancouver will win too, but eh. Minnesota. I'm going to put 40 on Toronto. Steve. Just ignores the series that he asked for. <laughs> yeah, but similar to Aaron, you gotta you gotta appreciate going or the Homer the Homer picks. Well, consider this the anti Homer pick. Then I'm gonna put twenty on Columbus. Keith, 
showing his true colors, being a total. Ju- nope, I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> we can say jackass. <laughs> so you got Columbus at plus 130. So with Cal- Calgary and Winnipeg at even odds. Yes, there was one bet there. I bet 25 bucks on Winnipeg. Okay. Um, I'm going to do exactly what I did last time, and I'm going to bet. It's 50, so. Uh, can I do my last two bets right now, actually? Or do you yeah. want me to wait? Okay. I'll bet 30 on New York. <laughs> Islanders. Or Rangers. Rangers, sorry. Okay, I was going to say. On the Rangers. Interesting. Interesting. Joining me. I believe in Panarin. <laughs> Hey, that's uh, that might come up of kind. No, it won't. It won't in the trivia. But I was thinking about it. And Keith, uh, I'm gonna take the safer bet and put 45 on Pittsburgh. Yeah, you and Paul trying to secure the bag. Carey Price is gonna bite your butts. So you got Pittsburgh at negative 200, and you actually bet a little more than Paul. He only bet 40 on them. Steve, finishes finish us off with that. Last pick that you were teeing up. I have 20 left, right? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, I'll put it all on Calgary. Wow. Well, one of you or I are going to be disappointed. It's going to be you. Oh. <laughs> and Keith. <laughs> Woo. Nice voice break there. Voice crack. Oh, my God. So this one, it is a little bit just trying to vote for the underdog and a little bit trying to get under Aaron's skin. I'm going to put my last five on Chicago. <laughs> well, Keith, I'd vote doing that too. I, no matter how this goes, I declare you the winner. I appreciate that. I like that. I agree. Chicago at plus plus one thirty. Yep. So not the most complicated thing, but at least you get a little insight into where our minds are going, even though you probably didn't want that, but you know, we gave it to you anyway. But we will get on to what is going to be a bit of an extended segment, our trivia. So this week, I am the trivia master because Aaron did so poor. Actually, it was quite good. Um, but we're going to be doing a bit of NHL awards history. Not, not too much history, don't worry. It'll, it's more recent history than, than ancient, but with the season coming to an end and award ballots going out, I figured now is as good a time as ever to try and find some interesting questions about the NHL awards. We have 20 questions. All are pretty straightforward. Would you guys like to work together or compete? Keith, I think we should work together. I don't know anything about this. Yeah, Steve, this is not going to go well for us. Let's do it together. Okay. <laughs> I'll try. I'll give you, I'll give you hints along the way. This is more just for fun. Um, but yep, all awards are in play, either voted on or won by statistics, which includes team awards, but don't worry, there's, I think there's one team award question. But without further ado, gentlemen, we have our first question upon us. Start your engines. In this question, I'm going to ask you to name the player. So this player narrowly missed out on the 2002 Hart Trophy, which is the MVP, after a writer left him off his ballot entirely. What this caused, or what this left the points as, because obviously the votes go towards points, is this player and goaltender Jose Theodore tied in points. But Theodore had more first place votes 
and that was the tiebreaker. So he won. Who was that player? And I should say it's a controversy because he was well known to be a MVP candidate. And this person who was from Montreal, this writer, left him off his ballot entirely. And had he been on, he would have won it. Oh, I've got, a, I've got an instinct on this one, Steve. Largely because it's coming from Mac. I think you got it. Was it <laughs> it's it is. It is Jerome McGinley. <laughs> Somehow, so I mean, he was. It, w- it was between Theodore and McGinley that year, and like it was going to be a two-horse race for that. And this Montreal writer completely left McGinley off the ballot, which was absurd, um, because he was he was absolutely the MVP that year. But I'm not surprised it's Montreal. It. <laughs> Those darn crooks over there. So look at that. You guys are one for one. Yay. Let's quit now, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> you got 19 more to go, my friends. Oh, jeez. Winning the Calder for rookie of the, rookie of the Year in 2007-2008, he was the most recent Calder recipient to then win an MVP in his career. So I'm looking for the player who most recently won the Calder, who has also won an MVP. 708. Is that, is that Crosby? I'm thinking it's either Crosby or Kane. Oh. Th- no, Crosby wouldn't have won the Calder in 2008. That's way too deep into his career. When did he start? 2006-7? 2004-5, I think. 4-5 was a lockout. Yeah, so the year after? So 5-6. So I think it's Kane. That makes sense. He's definitely... Yeah, I, I'm down to stick with Kane. What? Wait, can can we get a what, what year they won the heart or the MVP? Sure. <laughs> I, let me <laughs> let me check that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was 2014, 15. I'm still some clicking. With Kane. Yeah, Is there clicking going on over there. That's uh, me clicking my pen. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, I was like, hey, hey. Yeah, uh, I'll stick with that, Kane. Final answer, guys? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I was the only one that was wrong there. It was Patrick Kane, and he won the MVP in 15-16. But my hint didn't matter because you guys nailed it. Yes, it was Patrick Kane. Uh, quick bonus question. When did Crosby win his Calder? Or when, when did Crosby win Calder? So he's definitely been in the league longer than Kane. Uh, 2006? Trick question. Yeah, for... He lost. He never Damn won it, I knew that. I'm... Ovechkin won the Calder. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, you guys are two for two because I'm not counting bonus questions. Don't worry. But this one will probably be a little harder. Nicholas Lidstrom won the Norris a staggering six times in seven years between 2001 and 2008. But who broke up his streak? Who got the one out of those seven years? Ooh, that's a good one. In 2003, 2004. So Lidstrom won three in a row. This guy won in three in a row. Sorry, Keith. I want to say it's Niedermeyer. Would that be the right time frame? He would have been in the league then. Would have been probably in his late prime. That or did Pronger ever win? Mm, I think Pronger came a bit after after Lindstrom's streak there. I'm down to stick with Niedermeyer then. Sure. It's probably going to be someone like Brian Leach, though. (laughs) Final answer? Yeah. 
The boys are three for three. Scott Niedermeyer oh, wow. with the New Jersey Devils did win it in 2003-2004. I do have two bonus questions for this one. Well, two answers for a bonus question. Who bookended the Lidstrom era? So who won the Norris in 1999-2000? And who won it in 08-09? My guess for the first would be Scott Stevens. It's not the same person, obviously, right? Yes, yes. They're different people, and neither are Niedermeyer. Say that, too. I'm going to say the end would have been Pronger. So you I'm going to say wrong. the end was Chera. So... Steve, who was your who was your starter? I don't know. Keith is Stevens and Chara. Your end is Pronger. This one doesn't count for anything, so throw out a name. Brian Leach. <laughs> well, you guys actually did manage to say both of the names, but Keith did get one of them right. Chara <laughs> did win the 0809. Uh Norris and Pronger won the 99 Oh. Wow. I have no frame of reference for Pronger's career, apparently. No. <laughs> Question number four. You guys are three for three. Who was the last winner, or winger, sorry, to win the heart? My gut reaction is Ovi. Kucherov's oh, not a center. Could be Kucherov. Yeah, I'm, I'm good to stick with Kucherov. Yeah, I'm good to stick with Kucherov. I tried to, I tried to catch you guys off guard. <laughs> it was Kucherov. I was hoping, because like, he plays with Point or Stamkos. Come on. Well, remember when we did the uh, the first overall picks, Keith? And that very first year, the Jack Hughes year, I couldn't remember who it was because it was just right. so recent. And then that makes sense. I was trying. I was trying to trip you guys up a little. All right, this one could be harder, even harder. Well, it's definitely harder than the Kucherov question. But I'm looking for the country of origin. So the country where these players are from. This country of origin represented three straight MVPs from 1997 to oh, 1999. Oh, boy. I'm not going to give you the players because I, I mean, that would give it away. Well, that makes me think how, how many players? There were three MVPs, one by two players. <sighs> I want to say Czech. Jager. No, Jager was 90s. 97, 99, isn't it? Oh, I thought you said 70s. No, 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 90s. Oh, good. Like, I want to say Yager, but I don't know who the other player would be. Hey, or Czech, Czech Republic, then. Hmm. Yeah, I'll stick. I'll agree with you there. Let's go Czech. Oh, yeah, Czech, because it, it, the other player would have been, I, I feel like Hasek. Possible, possible. Yeah, let's lock in Czech. Yeah. Hasek and Yager did win the MVPs those years. And the answer is Czechoslovakia. No, it, it, well, it is actually Czechoslovakia, but Czech absolutely works. Congratulations. You guys are still perfect. 1997, Hasek won. Hasek won again in 98, and then Jager in 99. See, I would have thought it was two Jager won Hasek, but that makes sense. Guys are rolling. Speaking of winning MVPs in a row, who was the last player to win back-to-back MVPs? Hmm. Does it go all the way back to Jager? My hint will be no. You're looking between 2000, like the year 2000 and 2019. It is within then. So we had Kucherov. I'm going to go with Steve Nash. <laughs> okay. Who was the last player to win back-to-back heart trophies in okay, the NHL? Okay, well that yes. changes things. Um, hmm. Keith, you have no longer won the betting thing. Now you have to. Now you're on an even playing field with everyone else. That's fair. <laughs> you facetious. I deserve that. 
person. I'm gonna default and go Crosby here. I'm not even. I'm not confident in that though. See, I want to say like Kane. All right, Mac. What's what are we working with here? I need you guys to lock in an answer. Crosby or Kane? Uh, or Ovechkin. Kane. Yeah, let's talk in Kane. Final answer? Yes, sir. They finally missed. <sighs> Folks, they got the wrong answer, but they almost had it. Ovechkin oh! is the correct <laughs> answer. He won it in 2007, 2008, and 2008-2009. <sighs> Man, I thought, I thought Steve was going to come in clutch there, but... Nope, it's all right. It's all right. Question seven. Similar to Lidstrom, Broder owned the Vesna Trophy between 2003 and 2008. He won four of a possible five. Who won the other? Hmm. They won it in 2005, 2006. Broder won two in a row. This person won it, and then Broder won another two in a row. We talked about Theodore earlier, but that was earlier. Yeah, that's where my mind immediately went. But that was like 2002, 2003, wasn't it? One, two. Yeah, that was too One, early. One, two. Yeah. That era seems defined to me by Kipper and Luongo at West. I don't Did think it was Luongo. Yeah, I like Kipper for this one. Mika Kipper. Yeah. yeah, let's go with Kipper stuff. Did he even? Yeah, no, I'm not confident, but I'm going to lock that in. Yeah. That big bushy mustard ash should be confident. I don't know how you guys got that, but yes, Mika Kiprasov <laughs> did win that 2005-6 Vesna. I didn't. I'm a Flames fan, and I didn't know that, so I'm surprised. I don't know how you guys got that, but well done, well done. You guys are now six for seven, doing far better than I thought, especially Same. with your preface that you guys know nothing. Question number eight, though. Back to backs are fun. Who were the last two players to win back to back Smites? Last two. Yep, I'm looking for two. One was Crosby. Yeah. Huh. And it's not often that the winning team doesn't get the Conn Smythe. Fun fact, so. the last time that happened was J.S. Jaguar in 2003 when the Mighty Ducks got crushed by Detroit, but he was really so, good. So who were the last... Was it Detroit the last back-to-backs? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has both of the last right. two back-to-backs? Oh, goodness. Um... I want to say Lindstrom again because he's in my mind from earlier. So Crosby and Lindstrom? Sure. Okay. You guys do have the correct order in teams that won back-to-back. Crosby was the last one, but no Detroit player won back-to-back on Smythe. And to be honest, I would have guessed the same thing you did. In fact, the last two players to win it are both Penguins. Mario Lemieux in 91-92 Oh, wow. Because my both huh. years. Good for him. He deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got half points there, so that was pretty good. You guys were quick on uh, on Crosby. Yeah, I remember because Kessel got robbed. Well, you guys are doing far too well, and Mac at 3 a.m. this morning thought that, so I've started to make the questions harder. Oh, boy. Speaking of Smythe, three defensemen have won the Smythe since 2000 who are they i'm not going to give you the years because i feel like you'll probably get it from that i want to say niedermeyer won one lindstrom yeah lindstrom probably and dowdy dowdy or keith i think keith no i think dowdy 
No, because like Duncan Keith willed Chicago that one year. All right, I'll defer to you on this one. God, I hope it's right. All right. Steve's persistence pays off. Yes, you guys nailed all of them. Lidstrom in 02, Niedermeyer in 07, and Keith in 2015. Dowdy did not win one. He Yeah, I I remember. People were kind of thinking he would win the second one, but Justin Williams scored like 27 Game 7 goals, so they gave it to him. That sounds right. You guys are three for three there. Damn. I just remember Keith just destroying worlds in that one. All right. Now, this next question, I'm going to preface it by don't overthink it. It seems daunting, but it's doable. Since 1970, two defensemen have won an MVP. Who are they? 1970. Um, Winstrom and 70. That Scott Stevens? Like, no, I don't think him. I want to go with was Paul Coffey in that conversation. Ooh. Yeah, I like Winstrom and Coffey for this. Okay. I'm good with that. My my pre two thousand hockey is very limited. Very sketchy. Yeah. Oh, you guys were barely. You guys were born just before the two thousands. I don't blame you. But I actually knew this because of an article I did, and unfortunately, you guys struck out. I think we're bad friends. In nineteen ninety nine two thousand, Pronger won the <sighs> MVP and the Norris. And in nineteen seventy, nineteen seventy one, and I think nineteen seventy two, Bobby Orr. I was going to say or, but then I thought he was too early for that. Jeez. Yeah. Good attempts, especially – I think Coffee was uh, – I, I think it was a really good guess. Um, Lidstrom is it's, – it's frankly unbelievable that he didn't win a heart. He was probably the best player in the league for a number of years. So I don't blame you for either of those picks, but that stuff happens. Show number 11. Baby. I'm looking for a number here. Ovechkin has won the Rocket Richard for most goals in the league an unbelievable nine times. What's the next highest total? Oh. Oh, I want... Oh. I'm say it's a whole brother. And I'm going to be honest, guys. I'm kind of parched, so I'm going to step away and get some water, but you guys keep on talking. Let's talk this through, Steve. I think it's Bobby, because Bobby was just... Yeah, I want us to go with Bobby on this one. Is but he playing? Pre two thousand hockey knowledge is not up to par here. So Bobby, Bobby played. He didn't play that often, but he had fifty plus like every single year. I want to say it's like eight. He was also playing in the era where everybody was scoring like fifty plus. Yeah, but like, it's Bobby. It, it, it's Bobby, but I want to say it's. I want to say it's like seven or eight. I think we might be overthinking this one. It might just be Gretzky. No, no, no. I think Bobby had more. Even more than Gretzky and Messier as well? I want to say, yeah. Great. Deferring to Steve again, Mac, it's Bobby Hull. I don't need the, I don't need the player. I need the, how many, what's the next oh. total? Well, that, let's go with eight then, I guess. Yeah. Guys, you guys are starting to get a losing streak. Something, and I guess uh, it would be hard to know, but the rocket was not introduced until the late 90s. Really? So Kredsky couldn't have won it. And Hull, I think maybe he has one. 
But the next highest total, second to Ovechkin's nine, is two. That's ridiculous. And guys, that's why Ovechkin is the best goal scorer in NHL history. And with two is Crosby, Stamkos, Aginla, and Pavel Bure. I'm pretty sure the first winner of the Rocket was actually Timu Solani with his 76 goal rookie season. But anyway. That makes sense. That was a toughie, especially with the Rocket coming in late. But alas, we must press forward. Number 12. Since 2000, only two coaches have won the Jack Adams for best coach of the year twice. Who are they? And I'll tell you, they both won it with different teams. Elaine Vigneault. That sounds right to me. Um, Honestly, I also want to say John Tortorella, but I, I don't think so. No, I don't think him. Barry Trotz? Could be Trotz. I'm good with Trotz and Vigneault. Just trying to think of who else have won. Because then there's Gerard Gallant. Did he win it with Vegas? I think so. Or did they give them the general manager award, not the coach of the year? I just don't, I don't know who, I don't remember who won it that year. I'm going to need a lock in pretty shortly here. Give me Trotz and Vigneault. Yeah, let's go with that. I'll say that you guys said every coach or said the two coaches that I wanted to hear. Was it Tortorella and, okay. Won it in 16 with the Capitals and 19 with the Islanders and John Effin Tortorella in 2004 with the Lightning and 2017 with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Gallant won it once with Vegas where they also did give the GM of the year. They give them both. And Vigneault won it, I think, in 08 or 09 with Vancouver. He, He has won one. I forget when. But you guys got one there. Not too shabby. Not too shabby at all. Moving on to the next one. In existence since 2009-2010, the GM of the Year Award has only been awarded to a Canadian team once. When? So I'm looking for the year that it was awarded. I don't need the team, and I don't need the GM. I just want the year. I want to say this was Ottawa. Was it? I think this is 2015? If it's Ottawa, then I have no idea. 2015 or 2016? I'll go 2016. Keith, I made this question thinking that Pierre Dorian won it, but he was actually only a finalist. Oh, really? Huh. Yes, so I, I actually was building it for exactly that answer, and then I found out I was wrong. But it was actually 2010-2011. Mike Gillis with the Canucks picked it up. Really? Yeah, so I, I mean, I had you guys bamboozled, but I also bamboozled myself. Because I, I, I genuinely thought it was it was uh, Dorian, and we I'm had sure such a hot hot streak going. Yeah, man. Well, they should they should have won a cup in there. It's a shame that they didn't. They were so good. Holy, but fourteen. We're getting into some different trophies here. Who was the last President's Trophy winning team to win the Stanley Cup? You know, it wasn't Tampa Bay. I think it was the <laughs> Yeah, because Washington didn't win it. Yeah, I'm com- I'm comfortable with Detroit. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Detroit did do it. But they're but not Chicago the last. Chicago was the last one to do it. 2012-2013 uh, when they yeah. won in the shortened season. They started that oh. season 21-0-3. I remember that. 
I don't know why, but I specifically remember watching one of the games in my basement because I'm, I'm, I'm a decent Chicago and Calgary fan, and they were playing Calgary. Marion Hosa scored to tie the game with less than a second left, and then he won it in the shootout. <laughs> I was like, damn, how'd they keep – that was like when the streak was at like 17 straight games without an over or a regulation loss. Anyway, moving on. Number 15 here. I'm going to give you six player names. Three of these guys have won the Art Ross for most points in the league twice, and three of them have only won it once. You guys will have to decide which three have won it twice. And we're running a little short on time here, so let's see if you guys can expedite this. The six players are Ovechkin, Crosby, Martin Saint-Louis, Patrick Kane, Henrik Sedin, and Evgeny Malkin. I think Crosby Crosby. and Malkin have both won it twice. I don't know if Malkin has. He has. Crosby for sure. So that's Malkin. And what are the other ones? Henrik Sedin, Patrick Kane, Martin St. Louis. I'm going to say Patrick Kane. Yeah. Those are our three who have won it twice. Well, I was hoping to trip you guys up on Henrik Sedin because Henrik Sedin won it one year and then Daniel Sedin the next, but you guys are too smart for that. Crosby won in 06-07 and 13-14. Malkin won in 08-09, 11-12. Patrick Kane has won it once. Oh, Martin St. Louis. St. Louis in 2003-2004, and then the, short, the lockout shortened 12-13. But you guys got pretty close there. I'll give you half a point. Yeah. Number 16, since the lockout, not the shortened lockout, the full lockout, 04-05, this goaltender had the lowest save percentage of a Vesna winner with a 920. Who was he? I'm not going to give you the year because I, I think it would give it away. Huh. God. Since the lockout, uh, I'm going to play the odds here and go with Broder. Yeah, I'll lock that in. Thought I'd trip you guys up on who you think is the best goaltender ever. But yes, it was Martin Broder. <laughs> and actually, since the, since the year 2000, he has the three lowest in the dead puck era, which kind of surprised me. But yes, Broder had the lowest. Question number 17. Who was the last Calder winner to not score 20 goals? That's got to be Ekblad, right? I'm going to just walk you in right there. Okay. This guy and his Ekblad trivia, again, with that draft stuff, you're just nailing it with him. You have an odd affection. This one is going to be pretty hard. Three goalies have won the Calder since 2000. Who are they? Oh, that was um, Ray Croft won. Uh, did Murray win? No, Murray didn't win. I think. Hmm. Ray, I'm not sure that he didn't win. That would have been 1819? No. No, no. Hmm. 17, 18. How far back are we going again, sir? 2000. Oh, this is the guy I would always trade for in my old NHL games. The Sharks legend of Genny Nabokov definitely won a Calder. I have no idea. I want to say Raycroft, Nabokov, and... Hmm. Gibson? No. <laughs> Again, I'm just going to play numbers and go carry Price. Yeah, lock it in. You guys get half points. But how on God's green earth did you know that Nabokov won a freaking Calder? <laughs> what in God? Yes, he won it in the oldest year that he could have won it in this dang question. Come on, Keith. Stop getting these. 
Yes, who? Nabokov in 1001, Raycroft in 0304, and the one who I thought you guys were going to get, actually, Steve Mason. Ah, uh, Steve, your Columbus. namesake, come on. Yeah, I come forgot on, Steve. he existed. What's, what's wrong with you? Not all Steves know each other, guys, come on. Question number 19, guys, you got two left. You can do it. Once in the 2010s did a defenseman not have 60 points, excluding the lockout. So that lockout shortened season doesn't count. Who was that defenseman? And just for the record. Wait, sorry. Wait, what? Yeah, that question. In in the 2010, so between 2010 and 2019, only once did a defenseman not or sorry, win the Norris. Okay, there we go. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Could you imagine if every defenseman ever had it over? That was my bad. (laughs) No, sorry. Did a Norris winning defenseman, my bad, or did a defenseman win the Norris with under 60 points? Who was the defenseman that won the Norris with less than 60 points? And I want to say Drew Doughty. Okay. Because hmm. Drew yeah, Doughty's well, never I'll been like a point now. getter. He's just like an actually good defenseman. Well, was. Yeah, I disagree that he is. But you guys did get it. Yeah. In 15-16, he had 51 points. And Subban actually had uh, 38, but that was in like 48 games. So that's like a 70-point pace. In the yeah, it's not bad. Season, so. And the last question, guys, you can do it. Again, working with only the 2010, so between 2010 and 2019, who is the highest playoff scoring Conn Smythe winner? Hmm. Since when? 2010. I want to say Patrick Kane, but I also think that's just going to be simplifying things for it. It'd be Crosby. He had a lot in the second year. It could be Jonathan Quick. Mm, true. true. Yeah, I'm good with Crosby. Yeah, Crosby. I would have guessed Crosby too. And I would have been wrong. Mm. Oh, was it Taves? Yes. How? Uh, Stop it, Keith. I have this whole thing and you just ruin it. (laughs) Yes, I didn't know. Taves had 29 points in that first first Blackhawk win. They were so good. Yeah, it was crazy, crazy. Um, and do you, just for fun, since we have an extra second here, do you know who the youngest Conn Smythe winner since 2000 is? Was it Patrick Kane? Oh, oh. Um, Carolina. I'll give it to you. Yep, Cam Ward. The goalie, yeah, Cam Ward, because he wanted he wanted as a rookie. Ah. Yes, well done. Good job, guys. We all, we all did, we all did good. Well, you guys did yeah. better than me. But that is all the time that we've got here today. Do you guys have anything more you'd like to add? Stay I'm in school. Little, I'm a little disappointed we didn't guess Jake DeBrusque. I know. Me too. I was. I actually had like a separate paragraph prepared. Like it, it was going to be a soliloquy in case you guys chose DeBrusque. But I'll save it for another time. Let us know if you think that Steve or Keith should replace Paul as my co-host because they're both better than him. Other than that, hope you guys have a great day. Check us out on Get Off the Ice and keep catching our episodes coming out every Monday. Au revoir. Bye. Be sure to check us out at getofftheice.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at getofftheice.com.